Victor. Yeah, JD. What's an ever you do, I want you to remember this here. Yeah. You can't hold no groove if you ain't got no pocket. To the Jazz Podcast, episode 176. This track is You Can't Hold No Groove If You Ain't Got No Pockets. I am your host, Rob Cope, and this episode was made possible by Utopia Fest. Utopia Festival will take place on the 14th and 15th of October at a natural amphitheatre in Ravel Peak Ranch in Bunnett, Texas. Attendance is capped at 1,500 people, making for an intimate and laid-back atmosphere that differs from most festivals. Tickets can be purchased at utopiafest.com and on Instagram at utopiafest. Since its inauguration in 2009, the festival has lived up to its name in almost every regard, creating a truly unique festival that boasts an abundance of outdoor activities, including mountain biking, horse riding tours, and swimming in the nearby Highland Lakes, free car camping, and a unique BYOB policy on alcohol. It sounds incredible. So today I'm talking to Victor Wooten. Victor is the recipient of no less than five Grammy Awards. He has won Bass Player of the Year Award from the Bass Player magazine three times and is the first person to win the award more than once. In 2011, he was ranked number 10 in the top 10 bass hits of all time by Rolling Stone magazine. Before we start, let's check out the new single, Just In Time, from his band, The Bass Extremes. Victor Wooten, welcome to the Jazz Podcast. How are you doing? Life is good. Thanks for having me here. I really appreciate it, Rob. Oh, so do we. It's so great to get to talk to you. 
about well a great many things you're a busy man so we're going to try our best to catch up with as many things as we possibly can let's start with the utopia festival which is coming up on the 14th 15th of october which you're headlining we had a listen at the start of this show to your new single just in time which is your your band basic streams yeah yeah so tell us a bit about this because you guys are playing at the festival yeah, I've been working with my good friend Steve Bailey for over 30 years now. Um, and it started out with just two bass players and a drummer, the drummer Greg Bissonette. Um, just doing, we, we recorded some songs and, and then wrote instruction for the song so bass players could learn what we were doing. And that was the main thing, it was an instructional project. But it was based around actual songs, not just exercises. And so a few years into that, we were like, you know, these songs are good and no one can really get them. So we ended up recording a couple of records over the next, you know, 20 years or so. And we just decided, you know, what do we say? It's been like a decade or something since we, we've recorded anything new. Let's put a record together. So we got Greg Bissonette, Steve, myself back into the studio. But this time, Rob, we got so many of our friends. Like the song you mentioned, Just In Time is based around Justin Chancellor, the basis for the great band Tool. Yes. But we have so many, so many uh, guest artists playing bass, like Marcus Miller and Ron Carter and Joe Dart. We even have people like Mike Stern, the great jazz guitar player. He's playing six-string bass on a song. Oh, wow. That's brilliant. Yeah. Bela Fleck, the wonderful banjoist, is playing a low banjo like a bass or cello banjo. Howard Levy is playing bass harmonica. Jeff Coffin, bass flute and bass clarinet. You know, so there's all sorts of things, as well as, as a lot of other bass players also. That's incredible. It's almost like an anthology of, like, bass instruments, what you've put together here. Exactly, exactly. Making music with your friends is what it's all about, you know, being able to just, just like... I mean, for you, obviously, you've got some really high profile musicians joining you. Do you write songs for them specifically and then sort of bring them in and say, I've written this thing? Or do you do the whole thing as a collaboration? Um, it's a little bit of both. But in this case, mostly collaboration. Um, like like in, in, in one case, this one song we have called um, Home Bass. And it features Mark, uh, Marcus Miller and Ron Carter and John Patitucci. So Incredible. for Marcus, we sent him a drum beat, just a drum beat, and say, play whatever you want, whatever you feel to this beat. And then we brought it back and wrote some stuff around that. So Marcus Miller is a songwriter. We always include them in the songwriting because you know they that's how the song's written it's based upon what they add to it then we brought it to ron carter and there was a section where it goes into swing and we said play whatever you feel on the upright and so he listened to marcus part and then he knew where he needed to go on the swing section then steve and i actually added our parts after that and then we added john patitucci on top of it all and we had a song so we always include people in the writing. Bootsy Collins, uh, we've got him on part of it. And, uh, you know, just in time with Justin Chancellor, you know, he, he we built around his part. We've got Billy Sheehan. Is this him in the water? 
That no, that's me in the water. <laughs> <laughs> I love this picture. This is stunning. <laughs> Isn't that great? That's just in uh in the middle. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just looking at the cover of this single, which has the three of you. Tell us a bit about this. Did you know how deep that water was when you went in there? I did. Did that base stay dry throughout? <laughs> I did. That that's the Duck River, which is where I, I hold my music camps. I've been doing music camps now for 23 years, and we have a location just a little west of Tennessee, and it was a, a low period for the river. So my friend who was videoing, I, you know, he knew I, I didn't know how, I don't know how deep it's going to be, but I'm just going to walk out there. You just keep filming. <laughs> no matter what happens. Because, yeah, if it gets too deep, you know, but keep filming. But in the video, you see me come out of the water playing. But what we did is we, we recorded it in reverse. Oh, so, man, that's brilliant. Yeah, so I didn't have to go underwater waiting, you know. Are you ready? Say action. <laughs> so what I did, Rob, is I hit the first note of the tune and then went underwater. Man. So... What that's you see in the video is you see me coming out of the water. If you look closely, you notice I'm, my hair is dry. My hat is on. My hat's dry when I come out. But then you see me hit the first note. That was all done in reverse. Oh, that's brilliant. That's so simple. And But it never occurred to me at the time. Yeah. I was just like, it just has like this like army guy feel about it. You know, you're yeah, just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, some, sometimes I'm smart. Sometimes, not all the time, but. We figured that one out. Yeah, let's do it in reverse. Oh, that's such a great idea. <laughs> I love that. I feel like that. Sometimes I'm like, hey, good idea. And other times I do something so stupid. I'm like, oh. It's usually like, well, why didn't I think of that? You know? Yeah, yeah, big time. Yeah. So tell me then, with all the bass instruments, do you, do you ever find it to be like, do you ever have to really graft at it to find space for all of these musicians? Because yeah of the nature of the project yeah sometimes yes but not usually because of the people that we're choosing right most of the people that we're choosing um are more than just the bassist they're musicians and bass just happens to be their instrument so normally yes we're all the only bass player in the band and we kind of own that low register but everyone that we choose is capable of changing that register so, you know, if Justin Chancellor comes up with a low bass line, then if I'm playing with Justin, I'm going to go to the middle range or, or the higher range. But the main thing is that we're all finding our range because we're all, if I can say it, we're all really good musicians, not just basses. Basses is our instrument, but we know music as a whole. The one thing that can get a little bit difficult is in mixing the record finding the right place in the mix for everyone. We're bass players. We're all used to being right in the middle. But if John Patitucci's playing a little feel, maybe it should be off to the right or the left. If Otil Burbridge is playing chords, maybe I uh, pan him so that you hear it in both ears, far out, way in the back with reverb. So that can be a little challenging is mixing a group of all bass players and a drummer. That can be a little challenging. 
would you sit in the studio with an engineer and kind of try different things out to kind of try and because obviously there's not really anything you can listen to as a right. reference because what you're doing is very unique yeah well for the most part steve bailey and myself we were the engineers and right. we did it ourselves but i would always bounce it off the other musicians you know we would never do anything you know, like if Justin Chancellor's on this song, I'm not putting that song out until he okays how he sounds. So, you know, in many cases, especially Greg Bissonette on the drums, who played drums on all the record, he would listen to it and say, hey, take some of the reverb off my snare. This is a funky tune. It needs to be drier. And I'm going, yeah, you're right. I didn't think of that. Let me do that. Or, you know, different things like that. Or, or, or someone might say, hey, my bass is a little too thin. You know, maybe I thinned it out to make it more like a guitar. But if that musician is not happy sounding that thin, we want them to be happy. You know, so it it can be a challenge. But to answer the question, uh, Steve Bailey and myself, we were the engineers and uh, like it or hate it, it, it. It was us that did it. Brilliant. And you founded your own record label as well. Which, which must give you, obviously, tremendous freedom to, to do this and in in, in make it right. Yeah, yeah, I did. But it's, it's so easy to have your own record label these days. I mean, you know, you can, you can sit in your bedroom and make a cassette and sell them out of your trunk. That's your record label. You're, you made it. You, pr- you produced it. You printed it up. You're distributing it. You know, so it, it's not that hard. But to do it right takes a lot of, of effort, and, and it takes a team. I don't do any of this by myself. I have a team. But the main thing, Rob, is is I wanted my kids to end up owning my music, not some other record exec's kids owning it. And I have a few records that I'll probably never own. But the, the rest of them that I make, I, my kids will own. That's such a wonderful thought of taking the long view. And it's quite trendy yeah. at the moment to sell your back. You know, like Sting sold his, I think, to Universal for God knows millions. But yeah, it's yeah, gone, the, I mean, it's gone I, forever. I, I understand it. I understand it. I do understand that Sting, uh, um, uh, maybe Justin Timberlake or... And uh, who's the, what's the boss? Who we call the boss? Um, um, oh man, why am I blanking? Uh, the, the American uh, born in the USA. Anyway, oh, Springsteen. Springsteen. Yeah, I think he sold his catalog for like five hundred million. You know, I mean, if somebody came to me and said, "Hey, I want to pay you five hundred million, whatever, two hundred million for my catalog," I, I'd have to think heavy. Yeah. No, it, it would be nice to be able to, to give my kids a few hundred million dollars, too. But, yeah. uh, you know, I don't have a catalog that's that's worth that much. But I do think that it is worth uh, my kids having it. I mean, you've made so much amazing music as well. And for your kids to inherit that, like there's more than a monetary value to what you've created. I think so. I really think so. Thank you. It's a beautiful beautiful i've just had a bait you can see in the background i've got the baby milk yep yeah Yeah. so these are new feelings to me of like ah the future (laughs) yeah life changes you have a child you know things change they really do and unfortunately you know at least for me things change for the better you know i learn a lot more about myself 
I learned a lot, whole lot more about my parents. You know, when we're growing up, parents just do what they do. We don't know how special it is. You know, dad's just supposed to be there. Mom's mm. supposed to cook, you know. But now that I'm the dad, and when my kid gets a flat tire or a, or a parking ticket, now I'm the one that's got to go, you know, find where the car was towed and all that stuff, you know. Yeah. And I realized, wow, my dad did all that stuff. He's the one that allowed us to, to have a career in music, even when we were young. He drove us to every gig when he got home from work and we were practicing loud. He never complained. He just sat there and turned the TV up all the way so he could hear it, you know. And I realized, wow, that's just what he did. But now I realize how special it was, you know. So, yes. so I've learned a lot from my kids. It's amazing that the kind of experience of suddenly being the parent and you see all the things that were done for you that you just never would have thought about and you were the, you were the youngest of, of four five, five. yeah five yeah. boys Younger, and five boys what was that like what was that like at home yeah oh it was incredible it was incredible if you think about it whether admit it or not all younger siblings look up to their older siblings you know and, and i'm I, i'm happy to admit it I always and still look up to them, you know, so I was a young boy with five older brothers who to me were like grown men. You know, my oldest brother is only eight years older than me. Right. You know, he That's was quite tight and, for the five of you then. That's it's, amazing. It's very tight, but I never knew it. Yeah. You know, and he, he, I can remember him. My youngest memory is being about two years old and he's teaching me to play bass. He's also teaching my brother Joseph, who's five. When I'm two, Joseph's five. He's teaching Joseph to play keys. But what I didn't realize is that when I was two, Reggie, my oldest brother, was only 10. Yeah. So, I mean, how many 10-year-olds do you know? <laughs> thinking that. Yeah, that have the knowledge, the, the empathy to not beat up his little brothers, but to teach them, right? The foresight to know where it's headed, where we're going with this, he's teaching himself also, right? Roy's teaching himself drums. Roy's teaching himself saxophone. The three oldest brothers are all really close in age, like a year or less even. Roy and Reggie are less than a year apart. So they're teaching themselves. And so when I'm two, by the time I'm five, three short years, we're on tour opening for Curtis Mayfield, great soul singer. During his Superfly era, we're opening up the big coliseums for War, the Temptations, all these bands in a few short years. And when I tell people that, they're like, you were five, you were six. Wow, you're incredible. I said, no, nah. I mean, yeah, it was incredible. But Reggie, he was that 10-year-old kid that got us good enough in a few short years. That's where the real skill, you know, we don't consider ourselves genius because at five years old, we can speak our language. Mm -hmm. You know, big deal. Our family's doing it. We're included. We do it. Music was being spoken in my household. So I learned it at a very young age. And I had a great teacher who knew the right way to teach. And many of it was by not teaching. We, you're not going to sit down, sit your newborn ba baby down and teach him these words. And go practice this. No, you're just going to talk to him. And you're going to learn the baby's way of talking. You're not going to force the baby to learn your way first. You learn their way first. Whatever they call the bottle, whatever they call mama, dada, blankie, spaghetti, you're going to accept it. 
so that babies never hear that they're wrong when they're learning to speak, right? Mm-hmm. So my, whatever I played was right when I was a kid, learning to play music. Reggie made it right, you know? And so I learned through, through not only enjoyment, but through acceptance, Yeah. right? When you hear that you're wrong over and over, you want to quit. Yeah. I never heard that. So I got good really quickly. Reggie always guided me, still guiding me. He would tell me, man, if you learn to do what you're doing, if you learn really good, no one else in the world is doing what you're doing. Right? You're going to change the world if you learn, keep doing this. Boosting me up like that. And then with support of parents, it was easy. Took effort, yeah. But, you know, you learn to talk. We would say it was easy, but it took a lot of effort. Yeah. But music was the same for me. I think what I find really beautiful about this story is is obviously you're an incredibly uh, talented and successful bass player. But to be good at something to the level you've reached, you need family, you need support, you need a lot of love. Like you said, you need years of practice and years of encouragement. It doesn't just happen by accident. Nobody's, like you said, you're not... You don't like you're not a genius at that age. You know, it's just right. you're you're making the most of the situation that you've been given. Right. You know, but you right. need you need some love in there to right. exactly. get things going. Exactly. And that's one of the mistakes that I see with the younger some of the younger generation of musicians. They learn to play by sitting in a room by themselves and watching YouTube. OK, imagine me. What, what's your first language? English. It is English. Okay, but I'm hearing an accent from somewhere. So is it, where are you right now? I went to boarding school. So uh, it's the accent of everyone else at the school, you know? Everyone, we all like right? sounded the same by the end. Right. So, so again, that's music. That's you being in an atmosphere where you're learning from everyone, which helps you give you your voice, right? So when you sit in a room and practice by yourself, it would be like me trying to learn Spanish from the internet in a room by myself. And I never talk to anyone. I just learn by myself or me trying to learn off the internet how to swim. Yeah. I never get in the water. Right? So I could make some cool videos and all kinds of stuff. I can play some licks. I can wiggle my arms like I'm swimming and get a lot of hits. But until you get in the water, until you play with other musicians, until you speak with other people, you don't really know. Right. So anyone my age, I'll be 58 in a couple of weeks. For us, the only way to learn to play was to play with people. If there was a keyboard player up the street or someone got a keyboard for Christmas, you were at each other's houses having fun. Yeah. You know, but now because it's so easy to get information, many of us have lost the drive of discovery. Like kids used to have imaginations now we don't need an imagination it's all on the ipad it's all on the this computer it's all on the internet yeah and it takes over our brain so we don't think as much as we used to mm-hmm. but when you grow up poor you know you go outside and pick up a stick and a rock and that becomes a whole journey you know that, that is inside your head and what what happens is you you learn how to create Right. Not just receive. Yeah. And a lot of the times these days I see young people 
who are just looking at the internet and figuring it out. Mm-hmm. There is a good side to that, but there's a bigger side that's being left out. And in the same way that a person from Spain or from Mexico would be able to tell that I didn't learn this this language you know, organically, I learned it like from a machine or whatever by myself, I can hear the same in musicians almost right away. I can say, well, you know, you sound great, but I can tell you don't play with people, you know. So and, and not that it's really good or bad. I just I'm from an, a, a, a different era. And I, you know, I don't want to be the the old guy that says, man, when, when I was young, we used to, but, you know, I would like to see complete musicians. Yeah. And sometimes I'm seeing good musicians and good musicians making videos and getting lots of attention, but they're not complete. And for those of us that from the earlier area era, from the early, earlier era, the 60s, 70s, we can hear it right away. So can I ask you about your lovely four children then? Did you have, did you want to have four because you'd come from like having four siblings or big family? Was that always a part of your thinking? Well, um, you know, I mean, when my wife got, wife and I got married in 94, the first child just kind of showed up, you know. (laughs) (laughs) day you're like watching TV, like, oh man. Yeah. Who is this? Yeah. Wait a minute. So, you know, I I didn't really have a number in mind until we started having more than one. Probably by the third one or so, um, I started wanting to have five. Because I'm the youngest of five, Mm -hmm. and my wife is the youngest of five. Oh, wow. So wouldn't it have been nice to have a youngest of five? But my wife called the shots on that. Mm-hmm. Right, my part was easy. <laughs> I hear this a lot <laughs> from my friends who've just had kids, and it's like right. But what women go through? Yeah, my goodness, what women go through to to help populate this world with people. If men had to do it, there'd be a lot less people on the planet because. <laughs> you know we say we're strong but we are mm. not we're not we're not women strong that's a whole different type of power that's a whole different type of strength that us men we don't really have that so when my wife said i'm done i said okay we're done yeah we're done so we have four beautiful kids sometimes it feels like five or six <laughs> <laughs> But it's four. Yeah, two yeah. girls and two boys. Oh, that's lovely. That's brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, congratulations. That's beautiful. I like to think that because you're the fifth one, from your perspective, there are four siblings, you know? Yeah. So it's it's kinda it's kinda like right. that's um that's how it is to have four, I suppose. Four is wonderful. I've only got yeah. one. It's much easier to manage one at the moment. <laughs> Two of us and one of her. That's all right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, it was my, my, my brothers were like superheroes to me. Mm. Um, they were literally like superheroes and, and actually four extra parents. And and it's because when people hear I'm, I'm the youngest of five brothers, they say, oh, man, you must have got beat up all the time. You never got to eat. And it was exactly the opposite. 
You know, if if there was one cookie left, my brothers would make sure I got it. Uh, If we were playing, you know, street football or street basketball, I got to play. I wasn't a little kid getting left out. So I got included in everything that they did. And music was totally equal. I had my role. You know, and, and so it allowed me to to feel like I belonged, which every little sibling wants to belong with mm. whatever their older siblings are doing. And I got to do it. And uh, and I still get to do it. So uh, in, in many cases, you know, we all want to please our parents, but I wanted to please my brothers, too. Yeah. You know, there was uh, we were five good boys, really good, honest. We did. We did, you know, we did what was right for life. And I would feel disappointed if I disappointed my brothers. I would feel mm-hmm. so bad if I ever disappointed my brothers. Uh, so it was a good way to grow up. I was very lucky, very fortunate. Oh, wonderful. Do you think that they, did they sort of choose the base for you? Is that, do you ever think like, would it have been different if they'd have needed you playing something else? Is it just amazing fate that that you've ended up playing the bass as a result of being in a big family? Well, uh, well I'm sure my older brother, Reggie, my oldest brother, Reggie, chose it. Mm-hmm. But he was already playing guitar, ukulele, strings. Roy had gravitated toward drums already. Rudy had gotten a little a recorder or a plastic flute, gravitated to, towards a plastic saxophone. So when I was born, for whatever reason, Reggie started teaching Joseph keyboards and me bass. So Reggie chose it. But here's the thing I know. It, I don't think it, it didn't matter what instrument we played. We would be good at it. Mm-hmm. Because every one of my brothers is thinking beyond the instrument. Right? In the same way that when you speak, when we talk to each other, we're using an instrument. Mouth, right? Tongue, diaphragm, larynx, Adam's apple, lungs, stomach. We're using instruments, but we don't think about that. It's not the instrument that makes you worth listening to. It's what you have to say. So my brothers are playing instruments, but that just allows them to express themselves musically. And it wouldn't have mattered what instrument we chose. I guarantee that. I'm happy that they chose the bass for me because it's such an instrument of service. The bass is all about making you sound better. And and I get to do it in the background and get no credit for it. It takes a strong person. Yeah. I mean that's that's the role of the bass. Now no, I, yeah. I was playing now, saxophone and it's the opposite. Opposite, exactly. <laughs> the vocalist, yes. Right. And the bass, the bass is still an instrument that can surprise people, mm. right? It, it can still surprise people because musicians now know that the bass can do anything, but the general public doesn't. You know, so I can go on stage and, and play a little two-hand version, like two notes on my left hand, two, two notes on my right, and I can play chopsticks, right? With a little bass line under it. And the audience goes crazy. Ah, you're a genius. How do you do that? If I were to play chopsticks on the piano, right, you would hear crickets <laughs> and some laughter. Like, what? What? Do you, you know? Yeah. So I can do things on the bass that are really easy, 
but still surprises people. So that's the one of the cool things about the instrument. To me, the coolest about the bass is all about service. If you're playing your saxophone, I'm going to support you. Just the way the floor of a, a building, the foundation supports the building, but the foundation doesn't get credit. Right? You have to be a builder to understand the foundation. So musicians understand what bassists do. The general public doesn't. And that's okay with me. That's amazing. What a great way to put it. And it makes me kind of jealous because on the sax, it's very hard to support in the way that you do because of the role of your instrument musically, you know. It can be done, though. It can be done. You know, one of my favorite horn players is a guy named Jeff Coffin. And Jeff, I played with him with Baylor Fleck and the Fleck Tones for, I don't know, 14 years or so. Uh, he's now with the Dave Matthews Band. And whenever Jeff is on stage, if he has another horn player, Maybe there's two other horn players. Let's say uh, there's a guitar solo or even a bass solo. Jeff is over there organizing with the horn players, and they start playing horn lines. Then they go, and they become support to the soloist. But he'll do it in a way that he'll wait 8, 16 bars or so. So he lets you solo first, and then when that horn line underneath, it lifts the soloist higher, right? So he knows how to play support. If a vocalist is singing, by the second verse, Jeff's answering a little bit so that you never get tired of that vocalist or that solo. He knows how to support. So it's a way of doing it. Mm -hmm. But with the horn, it's not designed for that, so it takes a lot more musicality to figure it out. But it's worth figuring it out because it's all possible. And it's so much fun to support people. It feels so good. That's incredible. That's a wonderful life lesson. Before we stop, Victor, let me ask you then, on stage, let's take the, the Utopia Festival as an example as it's coming up. Because your new um, album with Basic Streams has so many guests, how do you play it live? Yeah, uh, we sometimes we even talk about that from the stage because it's just three of us. Mm -hmm. It's Steve Bailey on six string fretless. It's me on four string fretted, and uh, we usually have Greg Bissonette, but Greg Bissonette won't be there this time because he's out with Ringo Starr. Oh wow, Ringo cool! All, yeah, the Ringo Starr All Star Band. Greg is the drummer. So we have my longtime friend, one of my favorite drummers, the drummer who, who I brought on tour when I toured with Stanley Clark and Marcus Miller. This guy was the drummer, and his name is Dorico Watson. Great drummer. Uh, so he'll be with us. So what ends up happening is uh, Steve is good at playing at least two parts at once. If I'm playing a melody, Steve's usually playing the bass part and the chords. And vice versa. If he's playing the melody, I've got the bass part in the chords. On the record, we called the record Slow Down because we didn't have to do all of that in the recording. If we want chords, the best guy I know to play chords on a bass is O'Till Burbridge. Let's see if O'Till's available. O'Till comes in, plays chords on a few songs. You know, this song needs a solo. Hey, let's get John Patitucci. You know, he's got his own voice. He solos better than we do. Let's get him. Man, this would be nice with an upright bass bow. Let's call Edgar Meyer. You know, so we brought in other people so we didn't have to do it all. On tour, we're doing more. Right. 
So you've got multiple bases on stage. Are you looping anything or do you try and like, how would you go about that? Right. I don't loop during the set yet. Right. We're prepared to, for some of the songs that are on the record, we may have to. Right now we're playing songs that we can pull off with the three of us. And I'm not looping. Sometimes when I do a solo spot where it's just me, I use a looping pedal just for some effects and, and to I do some comical things to let people see how I'm using the looping pedal. But Steve and I both have a thing called a sustain pedal, which allows me to play a chord, hit that pedal. That chord keeps sustaining while I do something else. So it's like a looping pedal, but slightly different. That sounds incredible. What a great, like... So much fun. I mean, yeah, Victor, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing incredible thoughts about philosophies life family attitudes learning it's been amazing to talk so thank you so much for giving up your time for um us and our listeners well thank you thank you for having me and congratulations on your newborn thank you so much all right something to write write about (laughs) yeah i know it she hates the saxophone so My wife's a piano player. She loves the piano. She loves sitting and she's already like hitting the keys and copying everything she sees. It's beautiful. Then I'm like, oh, look at this. And she just screams. She's like, no. (laughs) Well, she'll she'll learn to love. Thank you so much for listening to the Jazz Podcast. Please keep tuning in. Keep bringing in those five-star reviews on the podcast's app. If you scroll down, if you can find it, share with your friends, your family. It's all a massive help to us as we grow and grow. We've got some amazing shows coming up in September. You can follow us on Twitter at the Jazz Podcast if you'd like to keep track of what's going on. Let's finish with a little listen to this amazing tune, Thunder. This features Stanley Clark and Marcus Miller, as well, of course, as Victor Wooten.